It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down An American loser the day I was born Hello, welcome back to another episode of American Loser. In keeping with, uh, this is the last episode uh, for the month of March, I believe, guys. And we got South Beach Larry still here with us. How you doing today, Dad? Uh, we're doing fine. We're doing fine. Not still bad. In. Behind the ones and twos, of course, the big kahuna. What's going on? Our, What's our going on? honorary Irishman for the month of March, That's right. correct? That's, I know you're a little yeah, Irish too, right? Yeah, everybody's Irish a little bit of in the month of March. Everyone, when I say that, they look at me and go, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have another guest here with us too at a shared universe studio in Eatontown, New Jersey, where Mike and Ming do take great care of us. Both Mike and Ming have agreed to be on the show when South Beach Larry goes back down to Florida for the month of April. So all Sounds your like bosses. getting a little what anxious got, there. What do they yeah. got against South Beach Larry? All of uh, all of your bosses in one room at the same time, Kahuna. How does that make you feel? All right. It was at that moment Big Kahuna shit himself. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> well, uh, our guest today is no pressure on that one, man. He's a good buddy of mine. I'm happy to reconnect with him here, and he's also, uh, as my father said earlier, it's nice to have because there's a lot of people that are Irish, and they think that being Irish means you put on a uh, plastic green derby on St. Patrick's Day, then you get shit faced drunk and either start a fight or vomit on your own clothes. And our friend today, comedian Dennis Daly, all right, I call you comedian because that's how I know you Thank as a you, comedian. Yeah. <laughs> also a very talented musician, but welcome to the show, brother. Thanks for doing it. Thank you. It was great to be here. Um, yeah, I would define myself more the, the Irish experience is, uh, you know, uh, having incredible amounts of guilt about the thing that I did when I was 10 years old that I, you know. <laughs> Are the Irish known for guilt now? Growing up in my house, Dennis, uh, there's Irish guilt, but there is something more powerful. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. Uh, Armenian guilt. Oh. Yeah, that is, uh, I'm adopted. So uh, my Armenian mother that adopted me has taught us that Armenian guilt trumps, uh, if you take Jewish guilt and Irish guilt and combine both of them. Still a couple degrees below uh, Armenian <laughs> guilt. So, I mean, I feel bad about things I have no control over still to this day. I confess to the JFK assassination. <laughs> so, but uh, no, man, I'm happy to have you here, dude. You were one of the uh, – because we started out doing open mics together in uh, Starlight Pizza in West Orange, New Jersey, right? Oh, yeah. Remember yeah. those days? Big Rich. It's a <laughs> who's been on the show before, man, one of my, my close buddies here. But uh, you were one of the guys – I said this to you earlier – should not have stopped doing comedy. And uh, I said that because you're a funny guy. You always made me laugh. I enjoyed your stuff, man. And then um, I, I hope you get back into it like you were saying. But there's so many people out there that should do the opposite of what Dennis did. <laughs> this is a public service announcement. Yeah. Yeah. If it's not going good for you guys, right. you're allowed to put a couple of years in while you try to figure it out. But after eight years, it's sad. Okay? You guys know who I'm talking to. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, if, when I was working at Culligan doing uh, installing water softeners, the owners kept telling me, no, man, it's going great. You're doing a great job. And I was like, then why does every customer scream at me and kick me out of their house? And then the owners are like, no, you're doing great, man. You're going to get it with time. Don't worry. And I was like, I'm tired of getting screamed at all the time and it not going well. So I quit water softening. All right? And a lot of you need to quit comedy. That's what I'm trying to tell you. But It doesn't get better. <laughs> no, it does not That's get right. better. <laughs> you got to have the foundation, man. But no, super funny dude, man. I'm happy to bring you back in here. Now, another 
passion that we both share. We both like uh, American history as well. Absolutely. So I know you're a, a more learned man than most, so I'm stoked to have you on the show here. Um, we picked a specific topic. <laughs> I'm in jazz saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, uh, this episode is about jazz music. Oh, um, perfect, perfect. No, it could be though, man. Um, that would be another interesting American loser. But uh, last, uh, last week we covered a topic near and dear to my father's heart, um, Thomas Francis Marr, right? Correct. And uh, we laid hero, a lot of – Go ahead. Hero of the American Civil War and uh, points before and after. He sure was. And uh, what was interesting, too, is you laid a lot of really good groundwork. So I'm not going to say this is a companion piece, okay, because it, it's not. But uh, if you want to go more in-depth to some of the earlier shit for why England and Ireland really don't like each other, um, please check out the Thomas Francis Maher episode, which was our St. Patrick's Day edition. Now, uh, today we're going to talk about something that uh, – Maher's story uh, is involved with, all right? But uh, pretty interesting thing here. Uh, Kahuna, what would you do if I told you? Because uh, I, I saw this very funny meme one time trying to explain. Are you trying to, you're trying to get at me with memes? Okay, I'm in. I think you'll like that. I'm trying to speak your millennial language. Yeah, I can uh, tell. Man. You're trying to. <laughs> but, uh, here's Old man of 31 talking to a 21-year-old. Exactly. It's, uh, <laughs> it's 10 it. years difference. He goes, you grew up with black presidents. We never had them when I was a kid. <laughs> but, All right, old man, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there's a very funny meme, and it's a picture of Zach Galifianakis uh, from the movie The Hangover, and he's got... Um, all those math equations and geometry symbols in front of them. <laughs> and uh, uh, the meme that I saw that made me laugh, it was trying to describe World War One, and it said, um, when, uh, when the Australians have to invade Turkey because uh, uh, Franz Ferdinand was shot uh, by the Serbs, so Austria goes to war and brings Germany into France, <laughs> right? Or something to that degree, where just, just what a and colossal that picture. mindfuck. Yeah, so now using that same kind of a, a what-the-fuck <laughs> moment, uh, we're going to talk about something here today. Uh, what would you do, Kahuna, if I told you? Uh, we do have a nice 30 for 30 vibe going here. What would you do <laughs> if I <laughs> – If anyone's got the voice for it here, it's definitely you, dude. Oh, Dennis has a good voice for sure. Thank uh, you. Now, uh, this particular thing we're going to talk about today is wild. Um, what would you do, Kahuna, if I told you that uh, after the Civil War, members of the Union Army of Irish descent – under Irish leadership. Well, actually, both armies. I'm just going to throw it Ooh, in there. It wasn't okay. just the Union Army. It was also the Confederates. So guys that were shooting at one another now decide they're going to come together and... Uh, well, talk about free agency, right? <laughs> yeah, now, that's right. That's right. Now there's a concept. So uh, what if I told you that Irish Americans uh, invaded Canada to hold uh, Canada hostage and ransom so that the British would release Ireland... Yeah. What? Sounds like a plan, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds – what? Kahuna's patented uh, uh, puppy head turn was on full display there. So it, what? <laughs> well, uh, here's what we're going to talk about. Oh, we're it's talk patented? About I didn't even know. Shit. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> right. You better register There's that. a lock on that. <laughs> going to talk about some today known as the Fenian Raids. All right, fellas? So uh, without further ado, this, uh, this week's American Losers are the boys involved with what is known as the Fenian Raids. Now, uh, the stereotype of the Irish is a uh, – Hard-drinking island of stubborn, hot-tempered writers and fighters, okay? And but then, how true is that? Uh, well. Almost exclusively. <laughs> That's right. There's always some truth in every stereotype, though, right? Now, my theory is anybody who is worth a damn in Ireland uh, 
came to America. So. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have any listeners in Ireland. I'm really bummed out by their that. Their greatest export well, is their this, people. You know? Yeah. yeah. That's a <laughs> but uh, no, they're very funny to me because they're, they're well-read people too, where it's like they'd get into a fist fight because uh, you quoted Hawthorne out of context. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but some of the stereotypes are true. Other parts of this are embellished a little bit. But uh, that little island off the coast of Britain has certainly bore its share of uh, big personalities. We're going to get into a couple of them today here. Uh, in America, uh, we have now Dennis. You're a musician here, so uh, who is your favorite artist off the top? Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder. Yeah. Would you consider Stevie Wonder to be the voice of a generation to a degree? I mean, he was a pretty interesting guy. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's just like that overarching, you know, '60s, '70s, '80s, just always relevant, always pushing. Stuff. Total badass. Too. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, yeah. Now, uh, when you talk about the voice of a generation, my father grew up, I would say, uh, Bob Dylan would be uh, a voice of a generation for you guys. Robert Zimmerman. Robert Zimmerman. (laughs) (laughs) Bob Dylan. Uh, And then, uh, you know, I know for me, they always said that uh, Kurt Cobain was the voice of a generation for uh, a time frame I feel most connected to. And my generation's got Lil Peep. uh, (laughs) Well, you had Lil Peep. Uh, That silly boy's dead, isn't he? Um, yeah, little peep is gone. Yeah, <laughs> very rest. sorry. He didn't even make it to Easter. Um, oh my god! <laughs> put him in the microwave. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> Who just said put him in the microwave? <laughs> well played, sir. Um, well, uh, in uh, in America we have the voice of a generation. In Ireland they have the uh, uprising of a generation because it's almost like. Everybody, uh, there's always a rebellion to be had here. So it's a, oh, my dad was in this rebellion. Oh, that's cool. Maybe I was thinking about starting a rebellion. Why don't you come over to my garage and we'll do a rebellion in this band and figure it all out as we go. Yeah. And your so. grandfather had his and your great-grandfather had his. <laughs> well, uh, it was kind of their way of doing things over there. Now, they got this uh, uh, long-stemming problem with England because uh, England had the uh, the Union Act, which kind of forced the two of them uh, to go hand-in-hand around 1800. Uh, LP, just very briefly. We already we talked about it in detail. <laughs> like the last episode. time when we were going on and on. But it, it's too deep of a topic, and yeah. your attention to details what yeah. keeps the show honest. So. I've got six pages of notes on it. It's a <laughs> handwritten notes, too, mind you. The Act of Union was uh, legislation that was uh, enforced on the Irish that basically you could have the, your, your own Irish parliament, but it was really just a puppet uh, situation where – London or England is still calling the shots that nothing was going to happen within Ireland without London's giving it the okay. Mm -hmm. So I like to compare the relationship a little bit to uh, New York and New Jersey where it's uh, there's a little bit of a body of water between the two of us. And then uh, imagine if New York was trying to tell New Jersey how to do their business. It's it's starving us. Yeah, and starving us and telling us we have to act more like New Yorkers. We'd ride if they told us we're responsible for Staten Island now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have a joke I was trying on stage where it was like, uh, you know, New York acts like it's better than everybody else. And then New Jersey's sitting there like, hey, New York, you ain't so great. You're not better than us, right? You know, you got walking around here like you own the place. And then Pennsylvania goes to New Jersey. Yeah, right, man, New York ain't so great. And then Jersey looks at Pennsylvania and goes, hey, shut the fuck up. I'm talking to New York over here. But... Um, one of the most popular rebellions in Ireland uh, was known as the Fenian Brotherhood, and that's who this uh, this comes from here. Uh, one of my tattoos is actually loosely inspired by something that these guys uh, were involved with, which uh, if you want to know how to get in trouble in uh, U.S. Navy boot camp, uh, when they ask you what your tattoo means, say the Republic of Ireland, and they say, back of the line. Uh, <laughs> You want to try that one again? It's for my Irish heritage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't accidentally say you're involved in Ireland's version of ISIS. Um. <laughs> right. There you go. 
But uh, so the Fenians are an Irish independence organization created in 1848 by a guy by the name of John O. Mahoney. Um, Dennis, can you think of a more stereotypical name? Well, I mean, for maybe this is your New Jersey connection, but uh, my mother's maiden name is Mahoney. Jesus Christ. So, I mean, it is. It is so pretty. she dropped the O at Ellis Island? Or yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Forever gone. That is another thing that joins the Irish and the Italians is the, the brutal, uh, uh, I mean, the destruction of last names coming through. Like, what'd you say your name was? Uh, oh, Mahoney. All right, Mahoney, whatever. That's, like, oh, my name is Mahoney. That might be the thing, too. But Corleone, you know, all that other shit. So. O'Mahony is born in Limerick, Ireland in 1816, uh, a full 100 years before the eventual Easter uprising in 1916, which we'll cover towards the end here a little bit. Uh, his father and his uncle had fought in the Irish uprising of 1798, which was heavily influenced by the American and French revolutions, which if you're grading revolutions at home, the American <laughs> Revolution <laughs> is A plus, quality work, okay? And the French Revolution – uh, I'm going to go ahead and call that a, a D minus if there is one. <laughs> yeah, you, you've pulled off your goal, but when your revolution ends in a reign of terror, right, yeah. I think yeah. you did a couple things and wrong. And all the guys who started it end up Took with their heads cut off. a couple of missteps. Yeah. Let's ask yeah. Robespierre what we should do. Oh, yeah, we uh, took his head off. <laughs> But LP, what do you know about that um, that well, uprising of 1798 that uh, O'Mahony's father and uncle were involved with? Well, that was a, a major uprising. I mean, um, if you do a quick Wikipedia search and for a list of the Irish uprisings through through the years, <laughs> of which there's many. <laughs> there's, well, I mean, Wikipedia lists 25 with just a, a quick search, and that's from going back from uh, 1534 all the way up to present day. Because there are there are those that feel that we're still in uh, revolt against uh, the British Crown because not all of Ireland is still part of the Republic, um, but we'll we'll cover that a little bit later on. But in 1798, it was a major uprising, and there was the promise by the French to send in um, aid, send in guns and, and actual troops that. Yeah, they they fooled us. They never showed up, and uh, <laughs> the revolt failed miserably. And um, you know, they again, once again, we've got another generation of, of martyrs for the uh, for the Irish that uh, just it just continued on and on and on. That they always had difficulty with having the revolt start throughout the entire island at the same time. It was always sporadic bits and pieces from here and there and everywhere that they never could get a, a unified front, if you will. Well, now, uh, the other part that's interesting, too, is that there's a line in that David Kincaid song called The Irish Volunteer, which is just a modern take on the old marching song for the good old 69th, right. uh, which was the Irish Brigade, if you've listened to the previous episode. If not, it was a brigade of uh, almost exclusively Irish-Americans. And they, uh, they praised Thomas Francis Maher, who was the, the head of the uh, brigade, if you will. But one of the early lines in the song is, uh, my father fought in 98 for liberty so dear, and he fell upon old Vinegar Hill like an Irish volunteer. So that's the 1798 uh, uprising right. they're talking right. about. And Vinegar Hill being one of the seminal battles that it did not go good for the boys in Ireland. Right. Was right. that uh, Cromwell? At that point, or no, that, no, I don't believe that was Cromwell. I think that was uh, he was uh, he was beforehand, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, that that Orange Order thing is going to come into play here too. So the whole Cromwell uh, Protestant versus Catholics thing. That's uh, in America we play cowboys versus Indians. Uh, in Ireland they play Protestants versus Catholics. So um, <laughs> now he and his father had fought in the uh, uh, uprising of 1798, which, like we were talking about, that uh, 
uprising failed, but it had a lasting effect on this Irish independence movement. They almost get a little bit better at it every time. You know what I mean? It's like going to open mics. You, you think you have a joke. You have a premise you want to work out. And, you know, okay, well, I bombed tonight, but I'm not going to bomb tomorrow right. as bad because now I know this. And then, then you see, well, I saw France do this bit, and I think that I can do it a little bit better. Right, maybe. right, right, right. I'll just do a you know, slight different version. Yeah, and- yeah what, if, uh, what if instead of redneck, I did it all about Italian jokes? You know what I mean? You might be Italian if... Uh, <laughs> But uh, now, an interesting guy here, this uh, Mr. O. Mahoney, as we're going to call him, uh, he's raised in a house that, quote, spoke a little treason. What does that mean, LP? Uh, treason is going against the king or anything, uh, that, you know, any of the, uh, the, the government forces, if you will. So if we're talking treason, that's, uh, that's a hangable offense. That's how good we have it here in America is that uh, – Dennis and I could go to a pizza place in West Orange and just tell dick jokes that that was our hobby. <laughs> the hobby back in Ireland was uh, insurrection. Yeah, well, yeah. You said erection at the end of that. <laughs> Good point. Solid point. We do need more sponsors for this show. Blue Chew, if you're listening, we're willing to sponsor you on this show. Uh, but uh, O'Mahony grew up in a household that was already speaking a little treason. His family's involved in these earlier uprisings. Now, he gets himself a little decent inheritance and enrolls himself at the only university in Ireland. Uh, you know the name of that one, Dennis? That's uh, Trinity. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, Trinity, oddly considered to be an anti-Catholic institute to the point of where uh, Thomas Francis Meyer's family would not allow him to attend the university. So he was schooled outside of uh, the area. Yeah, and when the government is telling you what can be taught and what can't be taught and anything that smacks of Irish or Irish heritage or history – is disallowed by law, um, you know, and, and that that has an overriding theme, if you will, within the, within the educational schools of thought. <laughs> that uh, if you start teaching uh, Irish history, you're going to be shut down completely. Well, they don't want any of that involved here. Now, what's cool about uh, O'Mahony is that uh, he digs right into a lot of the old Irish traditions, and one of the things that he uh, becomes obsessed with is the legendary Irish folktale of Finn McCool. Mm. Um, now, uh, during my time down in Jacksonville, there was a bar down at the beaches called Finn McCool's, and uh, I, I, I was a patron of uh, <laughs> that establishment quite a bit here. You spurred the economy in your own way. Yeah, I supported local business. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but uh, you know anything about Finn McCool, Dennis? Um, I don't actually. All right. I know it, that it's like a legend, right? It's completely a legend here. But what, what's fun about him is that uh, – because a lot of people don't realize this, but Irish uh, uh, legends, a lot of them turn into American folklore. So the uh, uh, the immortal uh, Washington Irving uh, you know, story of the tale of Sleepy Hollow, so the Headless Horseman. I thought you were talking about Dr. J for That's a second. <laughs> <laughs> Julius Irving. <laughs> um, well, what winds up happening is that uh, with uh, the Headless Horseman, that is based off of something known as the Doolahan in uh, Ireland, which is a uh, a man, uh, a horse rider with no head who comes to you uh, to take your soul across the river kind of a thing. Mm. So a lot of interesting stuff there. The Irish uh, – we also talked about this earlier. When you hear fairy in uh, American context, we always think it's something cute and pleasant. The fairies over in Ireland are uh, essentially demons. So it's <laughs> – Right. The tooth fairy and the, the fairies in Ireland were – the fairies in Ireland are stealing your babies and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. deeming you to internal suffering. <laughs> Lighting your potatoes. <laughs> right. right. Which so is, <laughs> they're just metal. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's a, yeah. Right. It's a, you want to call me a fairy? But I'll show you a fairy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Finn McCool is also part of this, um, this Irish uh, uh, folklore, if you will. Now, some people say that he is uh, 
Uh, he was a legendary warrior who helped defeat the Vikings, and then other people, depending on who you talk to, uh, portray him as this magical, benevolent giant who literally created the Giant's Causeway. Mm. All right. Over, and uh, then the fun thing, too, is that there's two islands uh, off the coast of Ireland. There's the Isle of Man, which is said to have been a clump of dirt that Finn McCool threw that, that came off a rock he was skipping. All right. And then the other rock that landed was a little island called Recall. Okay. Now, was it the Chieftains or the Clancy Brothers, Dad? Uh, I think it was uh, – it wasn't either, neither one of those. I'm trying to remember who – No, the Wolf Tones, maybe. Rock on Recall. Um, I think it might have been the Wolf Tones. Uh, well, there's a very funny song, Dennis, uh, called uh, Rakan Recall. And then the chorus is, uh, Rakan Recall, you never fall from Britain's greedy hands. Uh, you meet the same resistance that you did in many lands. And then this is uh, their, their ode to the British, if you will, and the British tried to take control of the island of Recall once they realized there was natural gas on it. It said, uh, may the seagulls rise and pluck your eyes and the water crush your shell and the natural gas should burn your ass and blow you all to hell. <laughs> yeah, Recall is a, just a little spit of an island in between England and Ireland. And folklore has it that Finn McCool threw this, this stone and it became – um, the island of Recall. Now, nobody really gave a shit about Recall for, you know, hundreds of years. It was just a nothing. It was the seagulls, you know, that that was the only thing that was living out there. But then all of a sudden they find natural gas on Recall, and now all of a sudden the British are saying, well, you know, that's really ours. <laughs> and Ireland is saying, oh, wait a minute here. You know, our our long history and our long heritage says that that's a, an Irish uh, on a island. But, you know, it's funny. Yeah, you how can't want Nevada money back do now that, that we have you. Vegas. Ireland yeah. was tired of giving up its lunch money. <laughs> There's a lot of bullying that goes on over here, man. But uh, old Finn McCool is said to uh, remain asleep in a cave, and he'll someday be awoken in Ireland's greatest hour of need. So when U2 breaks up, Finn McCool <laughs> will be summoned. <laughs> man, this whole story is just so punk rock. Like that song that you <laughs> – Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, punk rock is definitely influenced heavily by Irish folk music because we grew up listening to a lot of it, mm -hmm. man, and it's – it's there. You know, you want, you want to talk about the, the mixing of rock and roll and all that other stuff? You get uh, different drum beats and stuff like that, kind of the Irish, uh, uh, the rabble rousing, if you will. I mean, it's all in there, man. And uh, O Mahoney's a bit of a rock star, too, himself. He, uh, Excellent transition, he five points. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good at this one, man. It's, uh, uh, o Mahoney would study and uh, later teach uh, Gaelic, Hebrew, Sanskrit, and Latin over at Trinity College. Uh, I speak English. That's all I do. All right. Very, that's, that's pretty much it. He learned well, Sanskrit? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Gaelic at the time, or Irish, was forbidden by English law. So, I mean, he's doing mm -hmm. this uh, pretty much on the Forbidden on the by side. law. So, forbidden wait, what would law. happen if someone just spoke it? They would be put in jail? It, or it, it, Depending on where you will live. Now, obviously, if you're on the uh, the western side of Ireland, the more remote part of Ireland— I mean, the people are speaking Gaelic as their native tongue that, you know, you know, arrest the whole town. Well, no, I mean, depending on where you, but if you're in Dublin. I'm sorry I caught up on that. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard well, where it's like. Well, police, welcome so. to the, welcome to the British laws that were imposed upon the Irish that. Um, you speak a language, you're get, you're being put to right. death. You're being put to death. Well, they, they made it illegal to be Irish, yeah. which uh, is and a very popular song at, at on St. Patrick's Day in this country is the wearing of the green. Everybody knows that tune, the wearing of the green. But the words to that, you know, with the, for the hanging men and women 
for the wearing of the green. To wear green clothing was forbidden by British law, and it could be punishable by death, depending on how the local magistrate felt uh, felt about that. So, right. If so, if the local magistrate was just sick of seeing your face, ah, right, right. If he's got a he's got a reason to hate you to begin with, hey, wait a minute, you're wearing green today. You're out. You're out. You know. So yeah, it was uh, some crazy. It wasn't very times. easy. Some fun times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not an easy life yeah. for them over here. My favorite one of those penal laws was uh, you can't have a horse worth over five pounds. Five pounds, right? Yeah. It's like you can have a horse, right. but it can't be a nice horse. Right, right, right. <laughs> Surrender that nice horse. Right. That is our horse. Right. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, if you put it in a modern context, you're allowed to have a car. You just can't have a car worth more than thirty thousand so. dollars. Oh, so I, I am suffering from the penal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, penal law is still enacted here, uh, especially among comedians and musicians. You can have a cop car. You, you have a retired cop car, but you can't have it drive as fast as a normal cop car. <laughs> Well, uh, much like every other great Irishman, O'Mahony proved that uh, he's a great scholar but leaves Trinity without a degree. That's my cop out for why I <laughs> never right. finished at Brookdale. <laughs> I'm out of here. Uh, he began attending speeches at uh, – again, this is that part where it's a, it's a companion piece. You don't have to hear the earlier episode here, but uh, the, the stories are going to intertwine a little bit. He begins attending speeches down at Conciliation Hall in Dublin where he uh, joined up with the promising Daniel O'Connell's moves – to end the Union Act of 1800, which had forced Ireland to submit to England. Uh, he would soon become frustrated with the lack of progress made by O'Connell and quickly aligns himself with the most notable speaker at Conciliation Hall. I mean, you want you start out doing comedy, man. You're, you're blown away by a headliner, right? Mm. You're sitting there. But I imagine it's the same way with music is that you're uh, when you see somebody who's just got it going on, you're like, that's a great band. I want to be a part of that band, man. Well, uh, there was nobody more famous at Conciliation Hall than Thomas Francis Maher. I mean, he was filling seats, all right? Uh, now, he's got this little confederation here going on that he's uh, going to start putting together with uh, Maher and O'Mahony join up to form the Young Ireland Movement, which leads to yet another failed rebellion. Uh, yeah, again, there was a schism within that whole movement to repeal the uh, the Act of Union. Between O'Connell and, uh, right. and Maher, right. yeah. And uh, there's a whole, you know, a lot of people are getting tired and people are being paid uh, or bought out to uh, change their, their attitudes towards this thing you know, with the promise of jobs and everything else. So uh, O'Mahony and, and Marr are deciding that uh, they need something a little more uh, decisive here, and they, they start to, to form the Young Islanders. The Young Ir- Irelanders, yeah, that's easy It's not for a great name, say. right? Yeah. yeah, no, it's not a great name. Now, uh, just so you know, uh, with the uprisings and everything, Kahuna, there's kind of a Jets Patriots vibe going on here. That uh, oh yeah, they do a little better every now and then. There's an occasional glimmer of hope. A Rex Ryan, right. you know, they score a touchdown, but then uh, <laughs> then it'll end in a butt fumble. All right, that's mm-hmm. what winds up happening here. Uh, the Young Islanders Rebellion of 1848, which we covered in the earlier episode. Uh, do you remember the other name for it, Dennis? Oh, the Young Irelanders? Yeah, the uh, the Famine Rebellion. Yeah, right, because they were too hungry to fight. <laughs> right, That's not good. Yeah, no wonder the Patriots are winning. We're not letting the Jets eat. <laughs> right. Yeah. But Because uh, at this point in time, the, the, the famine has been going on for a couple of years. And in 48, we already went through three years of famine with the worst year being in 1847, which was come to be known as Black 47. Mm-hmm. That was the another worst great band. of the year. Right, another, <laughs> another great Irish band. But... Uh, um, you know, it's not strange that they took their name from from Irish history with Black Forty Seven. But oh, absolutely! Yeah, if you're if you're worrying about you know something to eat, you're not going to be too much uh, in, involved with uh, military activities when you're worrying about where your next meal is coming from. 
Well, on the uh, I, I can't remember which one it is that I have. I believe I have um, the uh, Black Forty Seven. Uh, it might be the greatest hits that I have on my uh, iPod. But it's um, what's cool about them is that uh, one of the songs is "Living in America," which is not their song by any means, but it is their. Um, uh, they're definitely making sure people are aware of the connection between uh, New York and uh, you know the old sod, if you will. But uh, Maher and O'Mahony would then go on to form that failed rebellion here, like we talked about in 1848, of the young Ireland Irelanders. See, now you got me fucking it up. That's really hard. <laughs> well, don't worry, because uh, we don't have to know their name anymore, because they went down in flames. <laughs> right. So... Uh, now, uh, Maher sees himself exiled to Tasmania. O'Mahony needs to get out of Ireland as well and settles over in Paris. Now that he's no longer in Ireland, he doesn't have that nice uh, money coming in from his inheritance that he you know, used to have. So he really risked it all, man. I got to give him credit for that one here. Winds up over in Paris. What do you think about Paris, Dennis, for a, a young, frustrated Irish writer? Is that a good place or a bad place to be? Um, I imagine it's a, it's a bad place, but, you know, I don't know. I, I can't imagine anywhere... I think the worst place for an Irish person would be like the Tasmania, probably, because <laughs> you're going to burn. <laughs> yeah, it's just mean at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were transported to Tasmania. Nobody's going to Tasmania um, or uh, Van Diemen's Island, as it was known then, um, because they wanted to. They're not, they're not visitors. They're not tourists. You were sent there because you're a convict and you were transported there. You were forced to go there. Yeah, it's like when uh, my Armenian mother told her to uh, blonde hair, blue eyed kid, she was taking us to Florida. And we said, Oh my God, what did we do wrong? I'm so sorry. <laughs> please, please we'll, we'll be better. We'll stop running in the house. You went to live there, dude. <laughs> Sit on the beach, burn. Oh, man. Well, uh, it got You should have known that was a bad idea, KP. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I didn't want to go. I got uh, the two times I've been to Florida, it was because my mother made me go, which uh, I have a lot of good memories down there, let's be honest. And the other time was because uh, Uncle Sam told me that's where yeah. I was going. <laughs> and I took it because the original orders were for Guam. And I was uh, saying, okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna... Jacksonville's better than Guam. Yeah. yeah. Guam, by the way, as I understand it, I've never been. My cousin Mike was uh, stationed out there. And I had a couple other friends who told me it's essentially um, no one is above five feet tall. And the entire island is a military base and strip clubs. Oh. So uh, if you're looking for culture, you ain't going to find it. Stripes. But <laughs> – um, but uh, now what's interesting here is that Mars over in Tasmania, O'Mahony's in Paris. <laughs> uh, he continues to write uh, about Irish independence nonstop. And in 1854, O'Mahony would join a few of his young Ireland brothers in New York City. So let's take the show on the road, baby. All right. O'Mahony would later uh, lose his mind, literally lose his mind. He was insane. He was committed to a psychiatric facility, which the more we dig into this, the more you realize that happened a lot. Okay. Nowadays, we just call it rehab. But uh, <laughs> it was fun to uh, check this out, though, because he, uh, he wrote um, this monumental task of republishing the history of Ireland told from these older texts, all those outlawed books we were talking about. So, Kahuna, you watch Game of Thrones, right? Just started, actually. Okay. Well, uh, now I can't say the rest of this thing, obviously. So, uh, But you know what? No, it's okay. I know most of the spoilers, so go for it. No, don't uh, worry about it. I don't want to ruin any of it for you. But uh, essentially, it's uh, he's going through the, the old legends that everyone's saying, like, oh, you don't have to work. You know, oh, did you, don't waste your time with that. And he's finding all this really cool culture and history. So he wants to uh, take the, quote, Protestant washing from the English that uh, took away huge chunks of uh, the Irish culture. And he wants to put that back out there into the open. So – Writes this incredible book, doesn't make a fucking penny off of it, all right, called The History of Ireland, and he winds up being put into a mental institution. Uh, LP, what are you thinking? You know, I'm just thinking that, uh, you know, it goes back to that old adage that the history books are written by the winners. 
So, I mean, if the English are constantly beating the shit out of the Irish and winning all these battles and, and crushing all these rebellions, and now they're outlawing anything that smacks of Irish history, and they're, they're telling the Irish what their history is from the English viewpoint kind of a thing, that uh, it's an eye-opener for uh, O'Mahony that when he starts digging below the surface and finding these old texts and these old histories and uh, or, you know oral legends and everything else, that, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that is a whole different culture that he wasn't even aware of, that nobody else was either because it was forbidden to be... <laughs> to be taught so but that's another thing too because you see a lot of it um in black culture as well that when you go through black history um a lot of people's version of black history starts with slavery in america and you're like well there's a whole continent full of culture over there (laughs) right you guys should you know check some of that shit out man some really cool stuff over there but uh we're now in new york and uh, our boy O'Mahony gets released from the mental institution because he's all better which means he probably sobered (laughs) up for 96 hours and took a ride but, uh, it's a, I think that's a stereotypical uh, attitude <laughs> wee, that you're taking. Wee, wee. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man. Now, uh, so he goes ahead. He gets himself out over here, and uh, I guess he must have been in some sort of a good intellectual form because after his release, he's able to earn a colonelship. In you want to take one wild guess what brigade he became associated with, Dennis? I think probably the 69th, <laughs> <laughs> the New York 69th, the Irish Brigade. But uh, now at the same time, he's also one of the presidents of the Fenian Brotherhood. Now, this is a, a organization that he's created. And uh, literally, they call themselves the Fenians, which is uh, known as the band of warriors that would travel around with Finn McCool. So it's all going right back to that Finn McCool legend, the, uh, the, the hidden history of Ireland. There's like a mythical kind of a thing here, which what's that going to do? That's going to draw in people. Definitely. Very good recruiting uh, move here. So they go ahead and uh, they've got these uh, people who are, are flooding the ranks of the Fenian Brotherhood. O'Mahony uh, realizes now that uh, he has to give his full attention to managing this Fenian Brotherhood, resigns his command in the good old 69th. So he's now got uh, crazy fundraising efforts coming. Like, what do you guys do when you want to go on tour with your band, Dennis? What do you guys do to try to make shit happen? Uh, we book an anchor date. Uh, somewhere. What's then, an anchor date mean for people? Oh, anchor date is like a one high-paying gig, and then you su- surround yourself with other dates on the road that may not be as successful, but you know that you have that like five thousand dollar guarantee to like pay for you to continue to travel. Right. So you got okay the anchor date, and then you work around it. So like, oh, cool guys, uh, the Fenian Brotherhood. We need to raise money because we're trying to we're trying to pull off this one crazy big goal, and we'll do a couple other weird things on our way. To make sure. <laughs> That's right. So they've got some interesting goals here, my friend, let me tell you. Um, O'Mahony uh, gives his full attention to the Fenian Brotherhood, and uh, as we said, he named these uh, guys uh, – these are Finn McCool's boys, all right? The uh, move becomes wildly popular. He's using the folklore to appeal to the Irish independence movement. Now, freedom to Ireland was such a newsworthy story, all right, and such a popular opinion in the United States because – Around this time frame, the two biggest uh, uh, immigrant blocks in America are German and Irish. That moving forward a couple of years here um, to World War One, that's why it was such a uh, weird thing for the United States to decide whether or not we wanted to get involved in World War One, because the two biggest immigrant populations were there was more German print newspapers than there were English print newspapers in America at the time, which is fascinating because now if you decide you're going to fight with um, Britain, you're going to piss off all the Irish. 
that are all going to get mad. You're like, oh, now we got to back up Britain, the guys we just, you know, right. like literally one generation removed from the, when they all came over the here. The one we just escaped from. Or you're going to sit there and piss off uh, all the Germans now, too. You're like, oh, and we got to go against the Germans. You're going to make us fight our grandfathers. That's fucked up. So kind of a weird thing for World War One here. But around this time frame, those two immigrant blocks are huge in the United States. And uh, what winds up happening is that uh, the Irish uh, sentiment, if you will, of having their own country, this appeals to everybody because um, if you don't like the Irish, what's going to get the Irish out of America faster than a free Ireland? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know? <laughs> Whereas like you – know, I just imagine if they were sitting there like, oh, we're going to fix Mexico so that Mexicans stay in Mexico. <laughs> Mexico, by the way, beautiful country with a lot of awesome parts to it. It's just that one section, the Juarez Valley, gets a little sketchy. Yeah, so. and those same those same um, attitudes that they were facing back in Ireland, they're still facing that here in America too. That there's plenty know, of Protestants we, we, here. We talked about it in the previous episode, but you know, no Irish need apply. That help wanted, no Irish need apply. That. Um, that whole Anglo-Saxon attitude of, you know, the Irish really, the only problem with the Irish is that, is that they're Irish. If you could, you know, wipe that clean and uh, it might be something, but they were definitely considered low-class, ape-like, I um, mean, all the caricatures of, of it, that. It's pretty funny, too. Where, yeah. Especially the Irish Catholics, right, because then you had the Scots-Irish here that were... Right, well, they, were, they were a little more acceptable, but just just marginally. Most right. of the, and, and the right too. Most of the early presidents were did have some Scotch Irish right. So that the reason why JFK is only considered the first Irish president because you have to put uh, emphasis on first Irish Catholic president. Right. right. What were you saying? No, I was just going to say too the that that other very large immigrant bloc, the Germans, were predominantly Catholic too. So you have a predominantly Protestant, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant kind of an attitude here in this country, and now you have these two huge immigrant waves. Um, with the Irish and the Germans, and that's it's at the same time as that uh, the Know Nothing Party or the natives that that you know the we're fine with the way we the are. Have, yeah, <laughs> we're fine the way we are. We don't need any any additional immigrants because they were they were overrunning the cities. There's no doubt, that, and they're coming in, and there you have these absolutely poor, destitute immigrants that probably unskilled. You know, because they were working as tenant farmers back in the old country. That the only really um, skill that they had was working the land for somebody else, right? And beating up landlords. And, yeah, beating <laughs> up landlords. We'll get into that a little bit. But yeah. Well, they're interesting too because uh, now um, Courier and Ives, who uh, immortalized Thomas Francis Maher during the uh, Civil War with that uh, picture of him bravely leading a bayonet charge with his sword drawn on the horse, um, kind of turned him into an American hero. Courier and Ives also prints out a uh, Freedom to Ireland print, which is essentially a photo of Lady Liberty, okay, kind of that Columbia kind of a thing, uh, her uh, holding the flag of the Irish Brigade, the good old 69th, and holding her sword out as she marches towards presumably England, to England get out of Ireland kind of a thing. So... Very interesting uh, uh, heritage here with all that stuff. Yeah, um, and part of that too is uh, going back to the failed rebellion of uh, 1848. They were starving, they were untrained, and they were basically going against the British Army with pitchforks and, and pikes, which was nothing more than a pruning hook. Right, and British Army, best army in the world at this right. time. Yeah. And so they realized, you know, had we been fed, had we, had we been better trained and better armed, better equipped, uh, we might have had a 
had a shot at uh, creating a rebellion that was successful, but that wasn't the case. So many of the uh, Irish Americans and Irish immigrants, native-born um, Irish, um, were now looking at the opportunity to join the Union Army as a, a training possibility. And if we can save the Republic, we can save the United States or the Union, maybe the Union is going to be a little more favorable to us going back to the other side now as trained uh, you know, veterans um, to win Ireland's uh, independence. And, and, and now to be fair to the British Empire at this time, I want to be completely fair to them. Um, I used to read this and get enraged thinking, how could you do this to the Irish? Uh, this is human rights violations. Uh, this is just – this is absolute tyranny. This is disgusting. Then uh, I dated a girl from Ireland uh, for about uh, three months one summer and uh, I completely understand the need to put these people to <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. Tell me more. Yeah, really. uh, no, she was a good chick, man. Me and her are still friends. But it's, uh, I do like busting chops, all that stuff, man. Because the Irish are a little um, – they're a little peculiar. Peculiar she, people. Uh, was she a redhead? No. Uh, no, it's uh, not as much of a stereotype. It, it was, there was plenty of stereotype there. But uh, no, good chick. Still friends with her today. Very, very funny comic too, by the way. But um, the, uh, the plan – that uh, started to come into uh, effect here for the Fenians now. This is where it gets fascinating. You have the cause. You have the money because now their fundraising efforts are through the roof. People are donating weapons, ammunition. You're actually able to buy bonds okay, uh, from the Fenian Brotherhood that would be recognized six months after Ireland was independent. All right, so uh, uh, yeah. right. Uh, <laughs> right, you can cash those bonds in yeah, when guy, Ireland like, is a nation once again, which is another – you know, kind of a fight. And if they ever will. become one, uh, those bonds still will be honored, as I understand, with uh, accrued interest rates. But, Ireland uh, belong a province, be a nation once again, <laughs> and then you can cash in your bonds. Oh man, no, they're uh, they're radical that way, man. But the uh, the Fenians have this plan. They now have soldierly experience, and a lot of uh, their ranks are swelling. I mean, there's a shitload of them. They got conventions in Cincinnati, conventions out in Chicago, anywhere you can have a bunch of patties together. They're willing to listen to this story, okay? <laughs> and pass that. Yeah, it is. Uh, there's definitely a. Uh, it's like uh, uh, there's so many people. I'm just gonna. I'll, I'm not picking on the Kahuna here, but uh, Kahuna, you know about Notre Dame football, right? Yeah. All right, where's Notre Dame? <laughs> but it, there's an idea that Notre Dame is a nationally followed team. So a lot of people don't know that they're from South Bend, Indiana, but um, it's a nationally followed team. So that they're, that's a big you – know, you know, every other school, you're going to know where these people are from because you can't – you're eventually going to figure out that the Oklahoma Sooners are from Oklahoma. <laughs> right. But uh, – so there is this um, – uh, there's a lot of Irish people that take pride in Notre Dame despite never attending one semester or lecture over there. We're making fun of you, Joe Carney, all right? You're a plumber. Accept that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the plan That's that they – because you got some little Mick putting his fists up in the, in the Notre Dame uh, <laughs> fight logo, right? You guys should do that story, how they got the name the Fighting Irish in, at Notre Dame too. That's I'm not sure I'm fully into that story, uh, that I'm aware of it, I should say. So. I don't want to waste your time right now. But, oh, no. You know. we'll, uh, God, he's the best guest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, the plan that they've now hatched is very simple here. This is where we're going to get into that weird uh, robbing Peter to pay Paul kind of a thing. The uh, Irish are going to raid Canada take controls of sections of it uh, by force and then use the release of Canada as ransom for England to finally get out of Ireland. So picture Clooney, Matt Damon, 
you know, Ocean's <laughs> Eleven kind of a thing, walking in there, and they're all going to pull this great heist off in Canada. And, uh, <laughs> we're going to steal Canada. Yeah, almost, in a Trumpian, almost in a Trumpian kind of way. It's, it's like, we're going to free Ireland, and Canada's going to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, you got to remember now, too, Canada is still a British possession at very this time. Very much so. so uh, what, a, what a great trivia question we have at the very end here for uh, uh, the Kahuna. We're going to fuck with him hard on this one. Um, <laughs> he really thought that like the British were going to be like, oh, not Canada. <laughs> oh no, I'm 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 miming tea. This is <laughs> Bloody hell, this is, they uh, got Canada. And uh, right. as Kevin Garifo, my friend, pointed out, uh, this is before um, Brett the Hitman Hart was in Canada. So this was still um, we didn't know just how tough Canada was yet right, at this yeah. point. The Hart Foundation. Where will we wasn't. ever get our maple syrup from? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh dear. <laughs> tea time will never be the same again. <laughs> so right. the uh, the plan is simple, right? That's on paper. That's the plan. Yeah, that sounds like a winner. So uh, now O'Mahony leads this first raid into New Brunswick, April 1866, with a band of over 700 well-armed, largely U.S. Army-trained men. And the British military in Canada, they realize they need to respond very swiftly here. A large show of force for British warships uh, coming in from Nova Scotia. They come right in there. As soon as these uh, brave 700 men cross into Canada, right, they get over there. As soon as they're about to launch this attack, they see the British warships and they say, ah, I mean, not, not today. <laughs> yeah. We'll get to yeah. it eventually. So. It was one of those uh, deals, too, that once again, the Irish uh, kind of tipped their hand that everybody knew that this was coming and it wasn't any big secret. And you can have all these rallies all across the United States raising money to arm these guys and they're forming up the troops. They're sending them up to the border and uh, all of a sudden they're, they're walking into or ferrying themselves across the river into Canada. The British knew they were coming. I mean, the Canadians knew that they were coming, and by and they by like that. to have a good time. The Irish, so I'm sure at a couple <laughs> right, of saloons right. the night before, hey, what are we drinking for? Well, tomorrow we're invading Canada. It's, oh, it's I, was, right. I don't know if I was supposed to tell you that. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> I got to call out sick tomorrow, or boss, because uh, we're going over to Canada. Oh, yeah, wait a minute, I wasn't supposed to tell you that. Real quick, we're just going to go. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. We'll be, we'll, done we'll be back at, by lunch. Yeah. Uh, uh, a lot of they, they did think that this was going to be a pretty uh, quick operation. Record Grey's Anatomy for me later. <laughs> so, like, just to be fair, then we're, we're saying that throughout history, no one has ever taken Canada that seriously. Also a, true. Yeah, it's a well, uh, it's it's Canada's fascinating too because it's it's loosely it's sparsely populated. Um, that even today, there's still big chunks of Canada nobody lives in, which gets kind of goofy. That's why you have the. Um, the fist, uh, very sophisticated Toronto people. Then you have uh, French Canada with you know, Montreal and all their culture and everything. And then you have uh, uh, Newfies over in uh, Trailer Park Boy territory. Mm. So a lot of interesting characters up there north of the border for us. But uh, uh, O'Mahony is in charge of these men that go into uh, the New Brunswick area in April of 1866. And uh, upon seeing the British warships, he goes, you know – I've always felt this draw to fundraising efforts back in Ireland. <laughs> right, right. I'm better at that than uh, so why don't I go? Bullets. <laughs> I'm going to go back to Conciliation Hall, where I think they still have a tab open for me. <laughs> and I'm going to go back over there, and we're going to drum up support for what you guys are going to do over here. All right? So <laughs> This was fun, guys. We stretched our legs. <laughs> right, right. You know. <laughs> Who doesn't love to travel? We put um, the, the old gang together again. <laughs> well, uh, O'Mahony decides he's better suited for the fundraising efforts and leaves the military arm of the Fenian raids to the Irish-born but Union Civil War hero, Mr. John O'Neill. All right. Now, John O'Neill uh, spells his last name O'Neill the right way. 
the way Paul O'Neill intended, you know, <laughs> the great number 21. But uh, over 1,000 Fenians under O'Neill crossed the Niagara River into Canada under the command of uh, this man John O'Neill now. They're aided in their effort to cross the Niagara River by Fenian sympathizers aboard the USS Michigan. That's a gunboat that was floating out there in the river that was supposed to be uh, interfering with them. Now, what's hilarious is, you know who's president of the United States at this time, Kahuna? Think you're post-Civil War, so Lincoln has already uh, went and saw a play he didn't quite like. That's right. <laughs> um, Andrew Johnson was his uh, VP. Oh, so our – wait, okay. Andrew Johnson, yeah. Um, mm. So a psychopath. No, no, you're thinking Jackson. Yeah, Jackson. Oh, my bad. Yeah. My bad. Who was a very fun psychopath, though, if you were on his good side. Who was Scotch-Irish, by the way. Right. He was, yeah. true. Um, now, Andrew Johnson, uh, considered one of the worst presidents of all time, but uh, he was a little bit all over the place. But he was meeting with the members of the Fenian Brotherhood and was shaking their hands and you know hanging around and maybe having a couple pints. And, uh, Can my note. answer for these who the, president's is, the president is at this time, just my answer moving forward is just TR. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> like, uh, well, TR does not come into this one. I don't care. No. The answer is TR. <laughs> but no. Well, now here, uh, interestingly enough, um, so Johnson has largely supported what the Fenians are going to do. They all kind of know what's happening, like my dad was saying. Uh, and as they start to move on here uh, – there's, a, there's also a little bit of uh, annoyance here, which uh, my father just put a piece of paper in front of me, which I believe That's is – That's the annoyance? We're going to talk about um, – <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about um, why the United States maybe wasn't in a, a hurry to defend British interests in Canada. Yeah, the, the uh, Johnson and the rest of the U.S. government, you've got all these Civil War veterans, um, a large – Part of them are of Irish heritage themselves. So there you have sympathetic feelings, if you will, towards this whole Fenian movement. Uh, maybe they're not all, all about invading Canada, but, you know, they're not saying absolutely dead no either. <laughs> well, uh, even Johnson, we're not really about it, but, you know, <laughs> yeah, you right. if you twist right. the arm a little it bit. It might work. It might work. Oh, you're mobilizing a thousand men? Like, uh, <laughs> right, right, uh, right. You know. yeah, we could do yeah. it. Oh, look over there. Look. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine a thousand Irish-American people going up the, from New York up into to Newfoundland. Like, you yeah. don't notice you that. you got a convoy going yeah. up the New York uh, thruway, right? The, yeah. Oh, yeah, we're just here to uh, go fishing or something. You, you know? assume we could stay in the sun that long. <laughs> <laughs> they were doing this in, like, June, too. So. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. We lost troops along the way, mainly due to sunburn. Well, you got to remember, too, up in Canada, they probably just got rid of the snow by June, too. Oh, so. true. Um, but... Uh, Johnson and the rest of the administration were really um, still a little pissed off with England, too, because during the Civil War, England was a very strong, not an ally, but uh, England was like <laughs> a, a definite sympathetic ear to the whole Confederate cause because there was, such, the cotton a, trade and everything. Yeah, there was such a strong tie in with the South, with the cotton and England, with the, uh, the mills that would turn that raw cotton into uh, into cloth, so that there was a lot of economic ties, and then it went as even as far as the uh, English um, shipyards were building Confederate ships that were then sailing out of English harbors, going out onto the high seas and destroying, you know, Yankee merchant vessels, blockade running because the Union during the Civil War created this blockade around all the major um, Southern ports. 
trying to you know starve them out and, and keeping uh, supplies and material from getting into the Confederacy. One of the best so, ships, by the way, was the the you want to say the name of the ship, the CSS Alabama. Yeah. So yeah. the Alabama is being built uh, up in uh, England, which, by the way, pretty funny. One of the most industrial uh, areas in Britain is Birmingham. So you have Birmingham, England, and then Birmingham, oh. Alabama. Wow. So, yeah. Well, tie together. in there, yeah. baby. There was so. there was a lot of uh, a lot of uh, English interests, if you will, and even early in the Civil War, England was trying to bring about or negotiate a peace between the North and the South because, you know, financially uh, they were losing money by having um, this, the Southern uh, goods from being blockaded from going to England. So they, they were losing money by having this war going on. So if they could negotiate a peace, things would go back to normal again. Can I tell you, by the way, because um, a lot of sometimes the ships were named um, uh, to have a ship named after you in naval heritage is like a huge uh, compliment, a high honor. I think what we should do is uh, we should have uh, a ship named after one of the greatest NBA legends of all time, Magic Johnson. That uh, could you imagine ISIS realizing that they've been pummeled into submission <laughs> by the USS Magic Johnson? <laughs> imagine that, you know, showing up on their radar. They're just like, "Oh my God, the, the Magic Johnson's coming for us." <laughs> to be fair, though, uh, KP is that um, I think that ISIS doesn't operate in like a naval kind of <laughs> yeah. Capacity. They don't have too many ships with ISIS. Uh, well, well, what's to interesting me- too is that uh, almost. That's the way that we bombard them now is that you have to go in. That's why the uh, uh, Dubai is like our number one most important ally over there oh. is because everybody has to come into the Persian Gulf in order to handle it. And by the way, those missiles, they made it very clear when I was on board the USS Kearney that our missiles on board the ship down in Jacksonville, Florida could pinpoint land and hit uh, a right fielder in Wrigley Field in Chicago from Jacksonville. Well, That's how far to, those missiles are able to travel. Just, why do they want to blow up Brickley Field, though? Yeah. <laughs> well, this was before they, I don't want to blow up the field. They just want to yeah. – right. It's uh, – yeah, this was uh, – I'm actually in favor if they wanted to blow up Fenway. Sorry, Boston. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, what a gorgeous field that is. But, uh, <laughs> no, really, no, guys. I, it's really hard for me. <laughs> do it. Uh, the gunboat uh, in charge of uh, intercepting the Raiders, like we said, is the uh, USS Michigan who finally decides to start uh, intercepting the reinforcements. A lot of crewmen on board the boat were um, Fenian Brotherhood members and or sympathizers who decided, uh, hey, we're going to show up and break up this you know, invasion party here. So you guys have, as far as I estimate, the next 14 hours to get done with whatever you're doing. <laughs> right. And then we're going to come Then we're going to get serious. Then we're going to come start <laughs> cracking some skulls, baby. <laughs> so – um, now, uh, it's very interesting, too, because I was saying, because the anti-Irish Americans uh, thought that if the raids worked, all the Irish would leave their country, finally go back to Ireland. And the U.S. government was doing very little to stop the raids due to their annoyance, as my father said, with the British over the uh, uh, assistance to the Confederacy during the Civil War. Now, uh, O'Neill and his men, this is the high watermark of the story. After this, it gets a little goofy. And we talked about <laughs> – uh, a little uh, goofy? Quite. Well, we yeah. talked about South Park Quite earlier. goofy. <laughs> We talked about South Park earlier, Dennis and I, and uh, there's actually a South Park reference to this episode, um, which I'm excited. Yeah, that's where Kahuna starts paying attention again. Um, <laughs> right now, talking his language. O'Neill and his men lay a very careful ambush for the responding Canadian military. The Canadian forces were largely inexperienced outside of like drills and stuff like that. They literally were saying that these are kids from the University of Toronto that are getting pulled into the National Guard, saying like, "Hey, the militia." Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've never seen combat before. 
And now you're going up against about a thousand pissed off, well armed, recent battlefield experience and yeah. battle hardened battle, yeah. uh, Civil War veterans of Irish descent who think they're fighting for their motherland, even though they're up in Canada. <laughs> yeah, <they're>, you know. <laughs> so uh, now they lay this very careful uh, um, trap for them, if you will. And this proves uh, too much for the new Canadian forces here, and they lose what is known as the Battle of Ridgeway. Okay. So a two-hour gunfight that culminated in a Fenian-led and uh, ending in a uh, Fenian-led bayonet charge defeats the Canadians. The losses are not severe, but um, there's a over – when we say casualty, by the way, people think um, death with casualty. Mm -hmm. Casualty just means that you're not returning to the battlefield really. So that could be an injury. Uh, you know, uh, They don't count illnesses as parts of casualties. But So if you got shot in the foot and you couldn't march the next day, you're considered a casualty. So, yeah, if you're not answering the muster next morning. Uh, yeah, so there's only about 12 deaths in this uh, battle, if you will, here, but uh, over 100 casualties. So they're definitely uh, – uh, the message is clear. The Fenians mean business, and they're doing pretty good right now. So between the Battle of Ridgeway and the successful street fighting uh, in his attack on Fort Erie, which he winds up taking Fort Erie, O'Neill literally lives his dream of leading Irishmen into combat against British forces for the freedom of Ireland. All right, so he's get. It's not quite the same time zone he thought it was going to take place in. <laughs> yeah. All right. Maybe he's on a different continent about 3,000 miles away, but nonetheless, he's still he's living still his dream. He's still shooting redcoats. Yeah. It's like uh, – it's how I look at it this way. It's um, you want to you know, sell out uh, – uh, if Dennis is a musician and his dream is to play Asbury Park Convention Hall, uh, you're not going to scoff at the idea that you still get to play a different convention hall. You know what I mean? So you're out in Chicago or something having a good time out there. Home of the blues. But. Right. He's playing the garden. Yeah. <laughs> Just not Madison Square Garden. Boston Garden. <laughs> I mean, it's the garden behind my fucking house, but yeah. it's the garden. Honestly, this is a little off topic, but Convention Hall is the worst place to play. <laughs> I've played there a couple times. Damn. And really? Is, the acoustics are terrible because it's a convention hall. It's not supposed to yeah. be for concerts. music. Concerts, yeah. So everything just rattles around in there, and you're on stage, and it's literally like just all wash. <laughs> So you have to blast your monitor. You're all getting you're getting completely blown out. This isn't interesting anybody. <laughs> this no, it is, but. makes me laugh too, man. Because uh, what about if uh, what if we were to stage uh, the a resurrection of the Fenian raids? We're going to go march into Canada, and we're going to meet at the Asbury Park Convention Center, <laughs> so that our voice sounds louder than it actually is. I mean, you know. Well, these Fenians mean business, Dennis. They're sitting here. They're uh, they're making shit happen. By the way, weird footnote. Okay. Um, O'Neill's victories uh, over the uh, Canadian forces, the, really the, the British forces in Canada, if we're being more uh, astute, uh, those victories are the first Irish military victories over the British since 1745. Yeah, we had a long drought. <laughs> <laughs> had a long drought on that one. Yeah, you're going through the uh, uh, the roughest the, of rough matches. Yeah, yeah, the pre Parcells Giants era, if yeah. I had to say anything about that. But uh, no, fascinating uh, things going on over here. Now, this catches the front page newspaper. This is people are all about this, man. And the Fenian Brotherhood uh, starts now swelling in popularity. And you got uh, boatloads of patties marching up to Buffalo to go try to join in the good fight here. And uh, around this time frame, they have to uh, enforce what's known as the neutrality laws. Uh, so Andrew Johnson, who uh, had supported the, the Fenians you know, fully, I mean, handshake agreements, meeting up with them, having a few pints every now and then like we talked about, now pulls his support and uh, is forced to sever the resupply lines. 
So now these Fenians that are already in Canada can't get new supplies, and you're not allowing the Fenian reinforcements uh, to cross into Canada. So uh, now uh, O'Neill is forced to retreat and releases the prisoners he kept from the Battle of Ridgeway and Fort Erie, shakes their hands, says, all right, you guys are free now. Just kind of run on back your way. He goes, but I'm coming back. Yeah. All right. So much like MacArthur in the Philippines, shall return. vowing to return, <laughs> uh, O'Neill does return. He probably shouldn't have, though. <laughs> yeah. This is, the, like we said, Dennis, that's the high water mark, man. You know, um, uh, in comedy, they always say, uh, Steve Martin, I think, said the late show Friday was the reason he quit comedy. And uh, I can't tell you how uh, whatever – usually it's a club that will do it because most fundraisers or independent shows will do one show a night. But – when you're there and it's a late show Friday or a late show Saturday and you just had one good show earlier in the day. So like the 7.30, everything was working. The crowd understood your jokes. They're good to go. And then it's about 10 o'clock and you see a bunch of drunks walking in and uh, you know uh, some couple that's pretty much finger banging underneath the front table. <laughs> <laughs> and you got to go up there and uh, you know entertain these shitheads after you just you know, had a great show earlier and you wish that was the last show and you could go out on that. But now you got to – come back and do this bullshit you really um, love your career choice don't you? <laughs> yeah <laughs> i do love it that's the problem but uh you know it's um i'm trying to draw the parallel here if i can <laughs> for if o'neill had just not come back for the late show he wouldn't have seen those couple finger banging <laughs> pretty much man and by the way here's the worst part none of what i said is exaggerated oh god there is no hyperbole i've seen a lot of weird shit um but what winds up happening is that uh, after the Fenians uh, have their support pulled, they're not able to resupply. Uh, O'Neill winds up having to go back into the United States, and uh, it gets a little slap on the wrist. You know what I mean? Because you have President Andrew Johnson. He's not really going to enforce any of that. And then later, President uh, – former head of the Army of the Potomac. You want to guess this, President Kahuna? Nope. <laughs> Ulysses S. Grant. Okay. Okay. Very Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Sweet. Now, Ulysses S. Grant, interesting guy here. A uh, little side note for you without uh, just a fun fact. Ulysses S. Grant, uh, his middle name is not S. Okay. His real name was uh, Hiram Ulysses Grant. Okay. Mm -hmm. But when you went to West Point, they would take your initials of your first, middle, and last name and uh, sew them onto your uh, shoulder, <laughs> if you will. So because his name was Hiram Ulysses Grant, Dennis got it a little bit quicker. He did not want to go to West Point Military Academy with uh, the name uh, Hug. Hug, Hug spelt out on his shoulder. So he changed his name. He changed his name to Ulysses Hiram Grant so that it would just say Ugh instead. Um, now, my favorite part of that story is because uh, the U.S. military is so good at paperwork. Uh, and such ardent record keepers, uh, they fuck up and they call him Ulysses S. Grant, S. literally standing for nothing. <laughs> so uh, the joke was Harry S. for nothing Truman, right, Dad? That's what Grammy used to call yeah, him? Yeah. Well, uh, this is actually Ulysses S. truly for nothing. <laughs> so they gave him a middle name he didn't have and they called him by his – so it was very funny stuff. I thought you were going to tell me that he was so drunk when he told them what his middle initial was, he went Ulysses. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody who doesn't know, Grant was a – booze bag, man. Uh, that's one opinion. Oh, let's be honest, man. All right. I am. I even his own friends don't defend him on this one. Tecumseh yeah. Sherman was even a booze bag, too, though. Well, that's another episode. Yeah, I guess so. That's Those another are other good names <laughs> We'll here. get to the bottom of it. Well, yeah. That being said, man, it is funny because uh, they do play up his drunkenness uh, in the South because they, they want to diminish uh, Grant's greatness. But he was, uh, was patent before patent. This was a blood and guts kind of a guy here. However... 
He's a little sympathetic. He goes, hey, you knucklehead Fenians, you better not invade Canada again, right? And almost like a little rascals <laughs> kind of a thing. You know, O'Neill and the boys like, no, we're not going to go back. They went back. <laughs> Six times. <laughs> Six times. Six well, times. At, at a certain point, there's a punch card and a free sandwich <laughs> involved. Right, right, right. But then, then the, the next one oh, – I don't want to jump your gun or no, anything. No, no, take The next one, it's not even – at that point, Canada has decided to confederate and become Canada. So you're not even attacking Britain anymore. You're attacking Canada just for the for Canada's sake. Right. <laughs> Here's where it, it gets very fascinating because we're going to tie in uh, uh, in the end here for that one because it's a, it's an awesome and hilarious point too. Yeah. <laughs> I said earlier we were talking about um, the episode of South Park. Um, here's where South Park is funny with what they did with this episode. What actually happens might be funnier. O'Neill is the hero of the Fenian raid since he delivered its only victories, but upon his return to Canada – he met with harsher resistance from the Canadians and far less success. The raids were largely ineffective after the U.S. would intervene and again cut off the supply lines. Canada's better organized now. There's less intel coming back for him. O'Neill uh, does succeed in capturing two Canadian buildings though. Captures them, occupies them. The Fenian raids are uh, – we're, we're at it again. We now have something to possibly ransom off or at least a base of operations to try to grow and resupply ourselves until they realize the buildings are firmly located within the United States. Oops. And <laughs> they just the invaded thing. their own country. Oops. So, that boundary line is here somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so imagine they uh, – we're at a shared university in Eatontown, New Jersey and they had a uh, uh, Christmas – they had a diehard-themed Christmas party here this year, uh, which is very fun. Dennis, you should come next year. Um, and uh, Ming went all out with it. He called it uh, Podkotomi Plaza. All right? Oh, God. <laughs> and in the elevators, they put um, dummies with uh, uh, Santa hats on and uh, holding a sign that said, uh, ho, 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 now I have a podcast too. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine if the terrorists from Die Hard uh, come in here and they try to invade Nakatomi Plaza, but they're actually on the fourth floor instead of the third floor. And they're like, aha, Ming, <laughs> have your podcast studio now. And you're like, you guys are on the wrong floor. <laughs> ah, <laughs> well, uh, it's the thought that counts. But uh, yeah, largely ineffective here. This is spoofed, by the way, hilariously in a one of my favorite episodes of South Park. Uh, in South Park, it was one of the early seasons too. Uh, Cartman joins the uh, Confederate reenactors, right, for the Battle of South Park or whatever. And uh, he bets Stan and Kyle that he can get uh, the uh, – oh, yeah, the Red Badge of Gayness is the episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten the name of it. Glad um, it came back to you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, he bets Stan and Kyle that uh, the Confederacy is going to win the reenactment this year, not knowing what a reenactment is. And uh, they say, all right, cool, but uh, you know, you have to be our slave uh, if that's the um, – uh, if you lose the bet. And uh, so because he doesn't want to become Stan and Kyle's slave, Cartman gets the reenactors very drunk and says, hey, we should win this year. <laughs> and the Confederates uh, decide they're going to just win the, the battle. They then uh, start invading Kansas and other parts of the, – they move into Canada, right? And this is all based off the Fenian raids where it's just a bunch of drunk uh, dudes – that are sitting there. They don't even know why they're fighting. Every time they start to say, hey, we should probably go home, Carmen gets a, a beer sponsor to show up and keep getting everybody hammered yeah. drunk. <laughs> and the best part is at the very end of the episode, the Confederacy finally surrenders, right? And uh, Stan and Kyle say, uh, all right, so uh, you have to be our, uh, our slave now, right? And he goes, no, but that means the union won, so slavery is abolished. So I don't, have to be, <laughs> I don't have to be your slave. One of the brilliant episodes, man. But uh, 
loosely based off these Fenian raids we're talking about here. Now, uh, like we were talking about, um, O'Neill and many others were, quote, arrested for their involvement, but almost all of them were spared prison time with that little slap on the wrist from our boy Ulysses S. Grant. Uh, most of these guys, by the way, yeah, it's a great picture too. Um, <laughs> it's Cartman is generally, um, but uh, I don't. We're, I want to wrap up here because I want to talk about uh, the last couple of things with these guys here. But I know we're missing some stuff because LP, you got some weird ass left turns to take. No, nah, not so much a left turn. It was just that the inspiration, if you will, or this whole Fenian movement. This was the Fenian movement in the United States. There was also a Fenian movement back home in the old country in, in, in Ireland, and there was a many uh, Republicans or, or you know people that were looking for Irish independence over there. One of the better known ones was this guy by the name of Jeremiah O'Donovan Rossa. Um, he was a, a, a Fenian, started out as a Fenian leader, a prominent member of the Irish Republican Brotherhood, which then morphed itself later on into the, the what we've come to know as the, the IRA. This guy, Jeremiah O'Donovan Ross, is probably best known, though, in his, uh, in his death with a graveside oration uh, of Patrick Pierce. Now, Patrick Pierce was one of the guys who, as you alluded to earlier on in the beginning of the episode with the Easter uprising in 1916, which eventually led to finally the, the Republic of Ireland, or at least the uh, 26 counties to the south. The six counties to the north are still under um, 26 rule. plus 6 equals 1. <laughs> um, this guy, Jeremiah O'Donovan Rasa, he, his, parents, his parents were tenant farmers, poor tenant farmers. Uh, he becomes um, uh, well-educated himself. His ancestors actually held letters of patent. In other words, they were prominent landowners, but all of their property was taken away from them by the British. So, you know, he's growing up under a situation where he's feeling the wrath of the British government, if you will, as a child. Um, he um, starts forming these various organizations like the Republic, the Irish Republican Brotherhood. Um, he's arrested in 1858. So we're right within that same time period. So what's going on in Ireland and what's going on in the United States, there's a lot of parallels. It's still the, the, Fenian, uh, the Fenian Brotherhood, if you will. Um, he's arrested in 1858 and uh, jailed without trial for a year. Uh, later on, he's charged with plotting a Fenian, <clears throat> excuse me, a Fenian rising in 1865. He's put on trial for high treason and sentenced to the penal servitude for life. In other words, he's one of those guys that's going to be transported anywhere out of Ireland or England. He's going to one of the British colonies to serve out his time uh, in servitude. Um, while, he's in, while he's in prison uh, in 1869, he's... He wins an election to the British House of Commons. Yeah. yeah this happens a couple of times, <laughs> right. by the way. So, so obviously the, the general population is with this guy. Um, he wins uh, an election to the British House of Commons in which he defeated the liberal Catholic uh, uh, De Dennis Heron by uh, a bunch of votes. But then the election was declared invalid because the guy's in prison. He's a, mm -hmm. an imprisoned felon. Um, then he makes a promise that um, he's not going to return to Ireland and he's going to go off into exile and they're going to exile him to the United States. Well, he goes to the United States. 
takes up residency in New York City, where he's uh, where he joined Clan Naval, which is another uh, Irish uh, independence group. He's also involved with the Fenian Brotherhood in the United States. Uh, he organizes this campaign that um, he actually organizes this campaign called the Dynamite Campaign, where he's now good name. taking the fight <laughs> to England. So he's he's blowing up shit, but he's blowing up shit in England, not in Ireland. It's a nice um, shock so, and awe yeah. vibe to that name. So he's uh, he's taken he's taken to the fight to the yeah like Donald Trump Brits. for president. Um, uh, he eventually is shot in, uh, in New York City by a British uh, citizen, and they're claiming that, uh, you know, it was really an attempt uh, assassination. Uh, even his non-supporters are saying that, you know, it's just way too many suspicions here with this, <laughs> this woman who's, uh, who shoots him down. Um. He doesn't die from that, but he does die later on, I believe, of uh, – yeah, what the heck was it? I don't know. Anyhow, he dies. We can say tuberculosis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Uh, oh, wait. I think it says it on the top of this and, back and, page. Um, once he dies, notification is sent um, to the other side. And the Fenians in Ireland say, you got to send him back home that we can bury him at home because this guy was such a noteworthy kind of a guy make, making the headlines and everything else that he's a noted leader of this whole Fenian brotherhood. They send the body home. He's greeted with like this – the body is greeted with this hero's welcome kind a of rock thing. star vibe. Yeah, too. right. The whole uh, – the Irish volunteers and the, uh, the IRB, the Irish Republican Brotherhood um, – and then at his graveside, um, at his funeral, a guy by the name of Patrick Pierce, again, one of the leaders of the uprising that eventually led to Irish independence, uh, gives one of his most famous speeches of Irish independence movement, stirring his audience to a call to arms. Um, it ended with the lines, they think they have pacified Ireland. They think that they have purchased half of us and intimidated the other half. They think they have foreseen everything, think that they have provided against everything. But the fools, the fools, the fools, they have left us our Fenian dead. And while Ireland holds these graves, Ireland unfree shall never be at peace. That became a rallying cry, a, a battle cry, if you will, that Ireland unfree shall it's never be at peace. hell of a battle peace. cry. Shit. So, yeah. So, um, you know, that's taken by some. Did you hear it? To this very you, oh, God, he's oh, yeah. choked up. He's choked up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> teary-eyed South Beach Larry. Yeah, oh, we got no, you. Not teary-eyed. We didn't go that far. <laughs> oh, we got him. <laughs> oh, shit. I get choked up at the Star Spangled Banner. So uh, It's a good song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of my um, faves. No, I, I love that, man. And it's a... Uh, Dennis, you made a good point. Did we leave anything else there? Because I know you, you did some research as well. I don't want to leave anything out that you uh, um, put some time in on. I'm going to consult my notes. Yeah, flip through that while you can because I'm going to wrap yeah. up a couple things on this sure. one because the Fenian raids blow my mind here. Irish history is nuts. I remember uh, being a fan of American history. Uh, and then in fifth grade, I had to do a, a country report, and I chose to do Ireland. And uh, we always grown up listening to Irish folk music in the house and everything. And uh, so it was for uh, fifth grade's country report on read. I'm researching the history of Ireland, and I'm blown away by it because in American history, 
we tell the story of, yeah, and then we kick their ass. And then we kicked these guys' ass. Then we kicked a little more ass. Then we invented a bunch of cool shit and kicked some more ass. World War One, Yeah, we solved that. <laughs> <laughs> so there's all these, like, it's such great history, you know, from the, uh, the G.I. Joe-loving uh, time frame that I was uh, growing up in. And then you uh, hear Irish history, and you're like, oh, we tried... <laughs> Didn't go so good, so we tried again a little later. <laughs> Didn't go so good, so we tried one more time. Uh, then we were quiet for a little while, but then somebody wrote something pretty good, and we had to get back involved again. <laughs> so, but all these things wind up uh, taking on um, – uh, you build off everything. So everybody borrows from everybody else's rebellion, and you build up into this great giant thing here. Now, uh, O'Neill is a fascinating guy because uh, he never really sees any jail time for literally invading another country with a foreign army on foreign soil. Um, dies of a stroke in Nebraska in 1878. A county seat is named in his honor. Okay. Uh, O'Mahony would die in New York City in 1877. His remains were taken to Ireland where he received a full public funeral. And uh, the Fenian raids are very fascinating to me because in classic Irish fashion um, – the Fenians sought to free a nation of British rule in a weird way they did, just <laughs> not the one they intended, Kahuna. As Dennis alluded to earlier, uh, the Canadian Confederation of 1867 recognized Canada as its own country independent from England. So uh, the Irish invasion freed Canada from British rule. <laughs> if you're confused, Oops. it means I told the story right. The, so the the last thing that I found in here was that so we're talking about a period from 1866 to like 1871 where they were doing like most of the the raids and stuff. And first off, I'm I'm it's so funny to me that every couple of years they're just like remember remember that time that we like went to Canada. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. You shouldn't do that. Yeah, road trip. <laughs> <laughs> By the end of it, when they do that whole mess with uh, the, um, the the mistaken borderline, they have like 35 guys and they're supposed to meet up with a reinforcement troop of like French and Indians. And like the, the, guy, the French and Indian guys have already signed a treaty with the British. So they just capture them and turn them over to the Americans. <laughs> and then the, the last thing that I got from it was that they kept the Fenian Brotherhood going until, like, they lost a lot of support in, like, by the 1880s, 1890s. But they moved their basis of operations out to the Pacific Northwest and just were talking about attacking British Columbia because – and I think it's – well, it's still called British. So like, <laughs> right, 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 right. We're kind of on brand. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a great point too. Because you know you're thinking the Johnson was kind of turning a blind eye to all of this kind of stuff. At the same time, there was a big argument between the United States and, and Britain as where exactly is the boundary line for Washington and Oregon and all that Just kind of territory. Right, yep. that, that there was a con, you know a con conflict as to who actually owns this place. So. Well, we're confusing too because we own uh, Alaska, which is um, you know the the tip of uh, the iceberg up there, if you will. Uh, pun intended. Very appropriate. Very yeah, appropriate. it's a, <laughs> but it's a wild uh, situation with that. And then um, there's those that if you talk to, because I remember we talked about the end of the Civil War, that if you go by uh, the Northern definition, it ended at Appomattox Courthouse with the surrender of uh, Robert E. Lee to Ulysses S. Grant uh, in the uh, end of the uh, the Army of uh, Virginia, or Northern Virginia, I should say. But uh, if you talk to the people down in the Deep South, they say the Civil War is still going on. Well, there's certain people over in Ireland that are saying, okay, yeah, well, Ireland's free. Except for the northern six counties, mm -hmm. and there's still some shit going on over there, man. 
Now, they mostly came to the table over there, so it's not quite as violent as it used to be, but uh, still a fascinating island. And if there's anyone from Ireland listening to this show, please leave me a review on iTunes. That's all I have. <laughs> all right? We're no longer trending in the Russian Federation. So, uh, you know, uh, as I used to say, Nostrovia to our Russian listeners, uh, I'm very sorry the KGB is not listening to this show anymore. Um, but that being said, man, I want to say thank you to my guest, uh, Dennis Daly, coming on here, brother. Where can they find What's the band name? What can we do to support um, you on social media? Uh, Shady Street Show Band. Uh, you can find me at D-Train Daily. I cook a lot. I post hype videos on Instagram. I'm going to make one with these guys, like, right before we leave. <laughs> uh, and um, Are you single right yeah. now or no? Yeah, yeah. I'm on, you can find me on, on Tinder. On uh, <laughs> Bumble, 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 Bumble on Hinder. Grinder. <laughs> I'm staying off a of grinder for now, but you know, it's a desperate time. So. <laughs> say, at least until it's warmer out. Uh, but uh, no, I, I got to. Uh, this episode is near and dear to my heart, man. So I'm very happy uh, Dennis came in. Please get back into comedy, but uh, we need more people like you and less people like John Sweeney. Um, <laughs> well, this but one. <laughs> he won't listen. Um, I got to say thank you to Mike and Ming over to Shared Universe taking great care of us. I want to say thank you to the Kahuna behind the ones and twos. You did a double duty today, man. We're trying to get as many episodes in. With old South Beach Larry before he abandons us again for Miami. <laughs> getting a little, uh, getting a little warmer here, but not quite in what we're it's having a, it, down it's, south. A, it's nice sweater weather. When we're be- back to your standards, we'll see you yeah, soon. There you go. <laughs> That's the truth, man. But uh, now, Dad, uh, you raised this uh, all the car rides with the Irish music, um, the, the the pride and uh, the heritage, everything like that. This all uh, in the love of history. It all comes from you, man. So I love you. Thanks for letting us do this uh, episode. We're with you. Now I'm getting weepy eyed. Oh boy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love my dad. I'm sorry, guys, but. Uh, yeah, man, this was a great episode. If you guys like the show, please help us out. Um, you can check me out at, at KP Burke Sucks on Twitter and Instagram, KP Burke on Facebook. I got a couple dates I got to plug coming up here. I found out if you plug dates at the end of a podcast, you can write it off as promotion on your taxes. Oh. I don't know if you guys knew that. So uh, if you're interested, <laughs> uh, this episode's going to be coming out. Uh, what, am we, what are we putting this one out, Kahuna? This one's going to come out Tuesday, the 26th, which means that if you want to come out on uh, the 30th, uh, down at Uncle Vinny's, you can come see me open for Mr. Pete Dominic. Going to be a good time over there. He's a very funny dude. And then I'm very excited. The uh, first week of April, uh, you can see me at uh, my buddy Anthony Cianti's house. I'm going to be uh, going over there. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be with uh, uh, Steve Hofstetter at Uncle Vinny's on uh, April 5th. I uh, got some local gig. Uh, anyway, let's get to the real fucking meat of the, the bones here, man. I'm very excited. On April 19th and 20th, I'm going to be featuring for my friend Lynn Coplitz at Gotham Comedy Club, all four shows the entire weekend. That's the 19th and the 20th. Please come out for that. On the 25th, opening for my friend Lynn Coplitz again at uh, Del Lago Casino. All right. And then the 26th and the 27th, if you guys like gambling uh, and you're going to be up at Mohegan Sun in Connecticut, uh, come on by. I'm going to be opening up uh, all four shows Friday and Saturday for the legendary Bobby Kelly. So please, uh, another proud Irishman. So if you want to come check me out at any of those shows, guys, please do that. Um, check us out. Support the show. Leave us a review. Guys, that was the Fenian Raids. American Losers. Thank you. An American loser the day I was born. An American loser the day I was born. An American loser the day I was born.